Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Tragedy in the state of Texas, where at least 50 migrants were found dead inside an abandoned 18-wheeler on the side of the road in San Antonio, Texas. A number of them were children. Three people have been arrested in the presumed smuggling attempt, but Texas Governor Greg Abbott wasted no time in placing the blame directly on President Biden and his administration's open border policies. We'll get into all of this in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. An open border has tragic consequences. We've seen this ongoing for years now when you no longer care about the rule of law at the border Who fills that vacuum? The cartels, the vicious transnational narcotics gangs that engage in the smuggling of drugs that kill tens of thousands of Americans, over 100,000 total overdoses last year alone, and also engage in massive human smuggling operations where the safety of migrants is not even a concern to these vicious cartels. And we see that this results in tragedy, like what just unfolded over the last 24 hours. Texas Governor Abbott tweeted out, 
at least 42 people. By the way, that number's risen to 50 people who have now died in total inside a truck carrying migrants in Texas. These deaths are on Biden. They are a result of his deadly open border policies. They show the deadly consequences of his refusal to enforce the law. Yes, they certainly do. Biden administration has done nothing to clamp down on the human smuggling, has done nothing significant to change the overall incentive structure here, both for the cartels to continue their human and narcotics trafficking in unprecedented numbers across the southern border, but also for the individuals who want to come into America illegally to take extreme risks in that process. These are individuals who are desperate. They're breaking the law. Their safety is not even uh, a consideration for the cartels, and that can have tragic consequences. That can show, uh, that can show up as uh, drownings in the Rio Grande, which we have seen, uh, people dying out in the desert of exposure to the heat or from, from thirst, which we have seen. And now this, the largest migration uh, mass casualty event really in the history of this country. Now, the cartels are, of course, the entity behind this. The policies of the Biden administration make it all easier for those cartels. Um, and that's where the political blame should lie, does lie. Criminally, though, of course, we have to find out how this happened and who was involved. San Antonio's mayor says there are three persons of interest in custody. Watch. The people that are responsible for subjecting other people to these conditions uh, should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, we do have three persons of interest who are in custody. And so you can, uh, you can rest assured that uh, we will cooperate in any way necessary to bring justice to those individuals. This is yet another sad day for our southern border, which has become an area of lawlessness and perpetual violations, it seems, of our sovereignty. Uh, the risks to individuals who are crossing are far too high. The riches the cartels receive from all this, far too much. And people are finally starting to recognize the, the situation is unsustainable. Prior to this incident, in fact, Texas Sheriff Ed Gonzalez informed the Biden administration that he's no longer interested in being Biden's uh, new ICE director, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. He tweeted out, I am grateful to President Biden for the honor of nominating me, and I wish this administration well as it strives to overcome the paralyzing political gridlock that threatens far more than our nation's border. Frankly, the dysfunction threatens America's heart and soul. People who are professional border agents of many years, many decades, in fact, are saying this is the worst it has ever been. Do you get any sense from the Biden administration that they believe there is urgency here? Sure, they're going to put out statements about how tragic, and it is deeply tragic, that 50 people lost their lives in one truck crossing the border on behalf of the cartels. And based on the average price that individuals pay for that trafficking across the cartel plaza, they're the, the plot of land, so to speak, that they are in charge of, because the cartels break up the territory between them, you're talking, about, uh, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars the cartels would have gotten just from this one smuggling operation. 
And in this case, it went tragically wrong with 15 deaths. How does this all come to an end? Well, Border Patrol will tell you the only way to stop this is to secure the border. There needs to be something done. It's not enough to just say that this is a tragedy and this is sad. There are policies that could prevent the next human smuggling operation because Border Patrol right now is overstretched. They are spending so much time dealing with the humanitarian mission of taking in family units, making sure that babies have food and formula, health care for illegal migrants crossing, that cartel smuggling operations like this one uh, are far more uh, likely to occur because the cartels know that there is a good chance they'll be able to get through our border security. And so it just encourages the lawlessness and it encourages situations that could result in tragedies like this one. By the way, border agents on average apprehend more than 7,000 migrants right now every single day. And a lot of them are unaccompanied children. The Biden administration is moving forward with a program to house many of those uh, children in North Carolina, apparently. So they've done nothing to stop the flow. They turned off the Remain in Mexico program of the Trump administration that changed the incentive for illegal crossing. And the only thing you can take away from this whole situation at the 30,000 foot policy level is that the Biden administration doesn't want this situation of a porous, really an open border to stop. They view this as in their long-term political interest. They see this situation as benefiting Democrat power over the long run. They also have a ideological uh, core of say 20 to 30% of the Democrat party who truly believe in open borders. I mean, they actually think that America should kick its doors wide open to anyone, particularly from the developing world. So people that come from poor countries who generally do not speak English, they want them coming into this country in the largest possible numbers. They view them as likely to be more dependent upon the state for assistance and resources and to vote Democrat as a result. That is the program, that is the plan. Democrats have even articulated this in recent years. This needs to stop. There needs to be a bipartisan decision that we will secure the border. And the only way that's going to happen is if Democrats are annihilated at the polls in the upcoming midterm election. We'll have more on this with the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies, Mark Krikorian, in just a moment. Let's talk about protecting your online data first. A lot of companies say your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, your messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence that you're not being spied on by your internet provider or big tech. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. This is more death on the hands of the president. I can't think of anything worse 
Laura, uh, than these people in that 18-wheeler suffocating, the heat going to 130 degrees or more, trying to climb out desperately, desperately, and they died. Culture of death, whether it's fentanyl that he allows to come over the border because he has open borders that kills our teenagers, whether it's these 46 people, and it may be more, those are in the hospital are very critical. If ever this nation needs to climb out of the darkness we are in of the Biden administration, now is the time that we all should be on our knees and pray. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick blaming President Biden and his open border policies for the heartbreaking tragedy in Texas where at least 50 migrants were left to die in an 18-wheeler as part of a smuggling operation. This as the administration continues to lie to the American people, saying the border is securely closed with humane policies in place. Clearly, there are big problems here. They're delusional if they think this is a secure border. Join me now to discuss Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies, Mark Ricori. Mark, good to see you. Thanks for having me. First, I just want to have you respond. Here is uh, White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre on the tragedy today of the 50 migrants found dead in that truck. Watch. Uh, we're focused on them, on the facts, uh, on, and holding the human strugglers who endangered uh, vulnerable individual, uh, individuals for profits accountable. Uh, and, we're, and we're focused on continuing our historic actions to disrupt dangerous smuggling networks, including through new uh, anti-smuggling campaign that just in the first two months uh, resulted in over 1,800 arrests. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the border is closed. She says, I mean, there's a lot there you can respond to, but she says the border's closed, Mark. Yeah, well, if I left my car door locked the way they're saying the border is closed, I, I wouldn't have a car pretty quickly. Uh, it's a laughable statement. Um, it's obviously true that the people directly responsible are these criminal smugglers. They're the scum of the earth. But there's also no question that the Biden administration bears a significant part of the responsibility. Lieutenant Governor Patrick was uh, correct, because what we're doing is it's not that the border is open, it's, it's open-ish. In other words, we're luring people here with the Biden administration's promise that if they get past the border patrol, they're basically home free. But we still have some roadblocks in the way. I mean, there are still, there is still some enforcement going on at the border. So some people still rely on smugglers to get in. So what we have is the worst of both worlds. In, the one option is, and this is something that, for instance, Senator Menendez from New Jersey and various activist groups have said today is that we're not letting enough people in. We just need to have unlimited immigration, basically, is what they're saying, because then anybody who wants to come in would get in. Nobody would have to be smuggled. Of course, the United States would basically cease to exist if we did that. The other option, the real option, is we have consistent enforcement across the border to deter illegal immigrants, not just fences and what have you, and that's all important. But we also make sure that if you get past the Border Patrol, you're not home free. You still get deported. In other words, across the board, consistent, strong enforcement so that people abroad thinking about coming as an illegal immigrant will say, it's just not worth it. The odds are against me, so I'm not going to take the risk and spend the money. Some people Mark, might still do it. That's are, on are them. They still, they Mark, are they still running the same... Uh, the, the same scam, essentially, at a massive level of this is all about they're supposed to appear and they don't appear. They're given a notice to appear. They claim they want asylum. They go to the asylum process. And if so, do we have any sense of the numbers of 
who actually sees through the process once they're let it once they enter illegally but then they're claiming defensive asylum or they have some other means of getting released into the system how many of them end up at some point uh disobeying the system and breaking the law again by either not showing up or not actually uh going through to show before a judge etc like like basically how many of them are actually staying legally um almost all of them are staying illegally um now obviously it's a multi-year process so it's kind of a moving target but the fact is that of those people who made it through the first screening interview that they don't get asylum but they you know they're considered okay maybe they could get asylum that's the first screening interview half of those people don't even then go through the process of actually applying for asylum because they're let go so why bother the other so half is, is it fair is it fair to say would you say mark 80% give or take 80 to maybe 80 to 90% at some point just decide the system's not really for them after they've been let in is that what we're looking at at least i mean no question 80 to 90 maybe even more than that at one point or another, they may show up for hearings, but then if they're ordered deported, they don't leave. So yes, the overwhelming majority, almost all who don't get asylum end up staying anyway. Well, what kind of interior enforcement do we actually have going on right now? And by, by the numbers, obviously it's weak, it's Biden, we know that, but are, are they deporting people in any significant numbers right now from the, not including people caught at the border crossing in illegally now, maybe turned away under Title 42, but are we deporting people who are just in the country illegally? What's interior enforcement? Yeah. Um, I'm pulling your leg here, but no, they're not. Uh, I mean, some people, sure. But we looked at the numbers and deportations from inside the country, as you suggested, are down in 2021, down by two thirds, more than two thirds. And the administration has always maintained that that's because they're focusing on criminals only. Well, the deportations of criminals also dropped by about the same amount. So the fact is that you really, really have to do something to get ICE's attention in order for the Biden administration to allow ICE to deport you. It still happens. It just doesn't happen very much. GOP Senator Ron Johnson, by the way, is demanding answers from DHS Secretary Mayorkas after a leaked DHS memo about using federal funds to move migrants around the U.S., Ron Johnson uh, said under DHS's plan, taxpayers would foot the bill to send allies, I'm sorry, aliens to cities such as Los Angeles, California, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Houston, Dallas, uh, and other places. Taxpayer dollars should be used to secure our border, not further exacerbate the Biden border crisis. What's going on here with the taxpayer dollars from DHS sending people all over the country? So, so now it's you cross in illegally and DHS puts you on a plane and sends you to Boston so you can go exactly where you want to go? Uh, well, not necessarily. What they're doing is moving people away from the border because the border communities are overwhelmed. And so what they're doing is they're sending people to shelters like the next big city in, Houston or LA or Phoenix or something like that. But if you're actually going to Houston or LA or Phoenix, well, then the government just delivered you to where you're going. And in any case, you have been moved away from the border. The, the, the Biden administration's concern with like the burdens this is placing on border towns is not the way they're responding to that is not to fix the problem and keep people out it's to move people out faster so that they get into right, the united states so there's states no political consequences to people seeing the the mobs uh, you know in the different detainment centers etc real quick uh, before that you go mark 
Any, any thoughts uh, on what's going to come down here from the Supreme Court on Remain in Mexico? Uh, I don't know, and uh, it'll be, it's an important case, but even if they uphold the decision that they have to keep Remain in Mexico in place, this administration even now is under that kind of order from the lower courts, and they've only put a few hundred, well, a couple thousand people into Remain in Mexico when last month alone they had almost a quarter million illegal aliens. So they're basically ignoring the court order now. I'm not confident that if the Supreme Court affirms the lower court's orders, this administration will do anything different. Mark, we'll have to talk to you more about it when it comes down. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. With Roe v. Wade overturned, pro-abortion groups are suing state governments to prevent abortion bans from taking effect. When we come back, Texas State Attorney General Ken Paxton joins us to discuss the Lone Star State's efforts to shutter the abortion industry. Right now, I want to talk to you about protecting your most valuable asset, your home. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent that found the home she lived in was listed for sale. The problem was she wasn't selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime happening all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowner's insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone messing with it, they help shut it down. So here's what you should do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, read the testimonials from former FBI agents, then register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. When you protect your home, tell them Buck sent you to get 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com, again, that's Home. TitleLock.com, Texas State Attorney General Ken Paxton joins in a moment. Abortion providers in a number of states are filing lawsuits to prevent the enactment of statewide abortion bans following the overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. At least 13 states have abortion bans on the books, many of which were set to trigger once decade, the decades-old Roe v. Wade was overturned. Earlier today, a judge in Harris County, Texas, blocked the implementation of the state's ban, ruling that abortions up to about six weeks can temporarily resume at some clinics. Joining me now for the latest on this battle is the Attorney General of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton. Mr. Attorney General, thanks for being with us. Hey, glad to be there. So, so tell me, who, what happened here? A judge has said that abortions can continue. I mean, what, give us the, the, the situation, the overview of in a post-row legal environment, what is happening in your home state of Texas? All right, so we're talking about Harris County. We're in a fairly liberal county, fairly liberal judge. She ruled that the pre-row statutes are not in place anymore. I don't know why she said that because the statute that we passed, both the trigger bill and the heartbeat bill, both reference the fact that we're not, we're not eliminating those statutes. Those statutes still are in place. They've never been repealed by the legislature. So, you know, this is a temporary injunction. So we're going to have, a, a, whether the permanent injunction is going to stay in place, we're going to have a hearing in a, in, a, in a, I think it's a couple of weeks. And so we should be able to resolve this. If we, not, if we don't, we'll appeal it. It's, it's uh, obviously, it's, it's not the right decision. Those statutes are in place. The, the trigger bill's in place. Everything, heartbeat bills, heart, heartbeat laws in place. Everything's in place. And for her to stop everything and say, act like nothing happened is, you know, obviously not the right decision. And, and what is the law now in the state of Texas for everybody watching when it, when it comes 
to the the issue of abortion. I mean, what you mentioned the tr trigger laws. Where where does it the issue stand right now? Yeah. So the trigger bill goes into effect after the court. The court has to issue a final judgment. The final judgment typically is about I think the the, the deadline is about 25 days. It gives it gives the other side a chance to ask for a rehearing of their case in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. They're rarely granted. Uh, I doubt it'll be granted here, but we have we give them 25 days. And then 30 days after that, the legislature said the trigger bill goes into effect and abortions are, are banned. And that's a new law. There were old laws that were struck down by Roe v. Wade. Now, Roe v. Wade has been struck down. So our argument is, hey, those laws, they were struck down then, but they're, they're still alive now because Roe v. Wade is, was invalid precedent and the Supreme Court just told us that. And so the laws in place before Roe v. Wade uh, occurred in 1973 are now back in place. Those laws exist right now and, and until the trigger bill goes into effect. And the trigger bill doesn't even overrule those. It just adds to. And what does the trigger bill do, just so I'm clear? So the trigger bill outlaws all abortions uh, unless it relates to the health of the mother. So the trigger bill, okay. if Roe v. it was passed legislature before Roe v. Wade was struck down, it was passed in anticipation of Roe v. Wade being struck down. So the legislature passed it in May, I think, and it went into effect in, in September, uh, almost a year ago. And if Roe v. Wade passed, then it, it sort of retroactively uh, knocked down uh, or put back in place these, these, these statutes. I wonder if you could also speak to the possible legality, one way or the other, of a suggestion from a member of Congress, uh, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who wants abortion clinics to be opened on federal land in red states. Watch. I'll start with the babyest of the babyest of the baby steps. Open abortion clinics on federal That's land right. in red states. Right now. Right now. Right now. So, Mr. Attorney General, she says she wants abortion clinics to be opened on federal land in red states. Could that happen in Texas? Uh, I don't know how she'd do that. I mean, we don't really have many federal lands in Texas. We've got Air Force bases and Army bases, but those are usually known to be used for the military. Uh, we don't have a lot of federal lands in Texas. Now, you know, there are states like Utah and Nevada and that, that are controlled largely by, by the federal government, but in Texas, you know, there's just not a lot of a lot of federal lands. Sorry, ACO. And uh, uh, switching uh, topics for a moment here, Mr. Attorney General, uh, everyone across the country is reeling in horror at the uh, finding of the migrants in this uh, tractor trailer. Fifty of them, uh, uh, as of this show, at least uh, we know, are dead. Uh, there are others who are in severe, uh, you know, severe risk taken to the hospital, including children. Uh, what should people know about how a situation like this can occur? What are the factors from the cartel side to the policy side that, that allow something like this? I mean, I think it's the worst migrant loss of life, life tragedy in history. Yeah, this is not the first time, though. This is a larger number than we've had in the past. This will happen again. This is a partnership between the Biden administration and the cartels. Uh, the cartels know that the Biden administration has incentivized this. And the cartels make, uh, the more people they can get across the border, the more money they make. They charge 8,000 per person, somewhere around that number. And so 
the Biden administration made it very clear that the more people that they cartels can get across, the more money they're going to make. And look, these people are typically not running. They're typically running to the, the border agents. Now, there are some that have issues that even the border agents don't accept. And so that may be this group here. So this is not going to be the last time. This is certainly encouraged by the Biden administration. I I would say expect more of the same. And they're, they're fine with it. They're willing to accept losses from both migrants, from both citizens of Texas, from fentanyl overdoses. Those are all acceptable losses to the Biden administration. They're encouraging this, not discouraging it in any way. They're doing everything they can make, everything they can do to make this happen. So they're okay with all of this. Would you say the cartels are more powerful right now, in part because of the uh, porous border with all the human smuggling and drug trafficking going on than at any time since you've been working in Texas uh, law and law enforcement? Well, when you're empowered by the federal government of the United States, you, it, it really does help. And so they've gotten a huge boost from the Biden administration encouraging illegal immigration. And they know it. Look, there's no surprise to them. They, they, were, they were told on day one, hey, the, 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 the laws of the federal government about immigration don't apply anymore. Get, you know, get, get, on, get on the ball and get, your, get more people here. And so they've done it and they are more powerful. Their, 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 their ability to import drugs is getting better and, and more, more kids are dying, more people are dying. That's for the Biden administration. They you know, obviously don't talk about this, but it's clear to me that it's a fair trade off for them. They're willing to trade American lives and even immigrant lives if they can get a trade off of getting more and more illegal immigrants into this country. And just, just one more for you. I remember hearing uh, from members of Border Patrol that the state, uh, this was under the Trump administration when I was spending time uh, at the border, that the state of California did everything they could to make it harder for Border Patrol agents in California to do their jobs. I'm wondering now it's obviously different. You have a Biden administration. Are there any ways the Biden administration at the federal level is making it harder for the state of Texas to have border security? Oh, absolutely. Everything they're doing uh, makes it more difficult for us to have border security. I mean, when you, when you have an open invitation to tell people to turn yourself into the border Border Patrol, and you'll be given asylum, and you'll be moved rather quickly, secretly, on a plane or on a bus somewhere in the country. The border agents aren't aren't getting to do their job. They're they're demoralized. They're they're not supported. They're not getting to do their job. It, it's 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 not even a real job anymore. And it's unfortunate because these are great men and women that have dedicated their lives to public service, to helping us defend our country. And the Biden administration spits in their face and says. We're not going to let you do your job. As a matter of fact, we're going to make you do just the opposite. We're going to make you be a part of our plan to violate all federal laws as it relates to immigration and get as many illegal immigrants in here, whatever their background, whether it's you know crime, drugs, whatever it is, we want them here. Even if they're criminals, we want them here. We're going to try to release them. We fought the Biden administration. They're supposed to now not let criminals go in the United States, whether they're doing that or not. We don't know because they don't report anything to the American people about what they're actually doing. Attorney General for the state of Texas, Ken Paxton. Sir, appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for making the time. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. A big win for election integrity in New York City as the city's non-citizen voting law was struck down yesterday in the courts. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. 
Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Every administration, including the de Blasio administration, uh, the Bloomberg administration has been clear saying that this law would be unconstitutional and against uh, the current statute. Uh, and now a judge has affirmed that, that, that position. Big win for election integrity in New York City yesterday as the city's non-citizen voting law has been struck down in the courts. New York Times reports a law that would have allowed non-citizens to vote in local elections in New York City was struck down on Monday by a state Supreme Court justice on Staten Island who said it violated the state constitution. The measure would have allowed more than 800,000 permanent legal residents and people with authorization to work in the United States to vote for offices such as mayor and city council. So what does this mean for local New York City elections moving forward? The man that led the movement to strike down this law is with me now, New York City Council Minority Leader Joe Borelli. Joe, the sage of Staten Island, good to see you. You too, Buck, thank you. So you put out a statement on this, the state Supreme Court law, a state Supreme Court rather invalidating the non-citizen voting law. Non-citizen voting in New York is illegal and shame on those who thought they could skirt the law for political gain. I commend the court in recognizing reality and reminding New York's professional protester class that the rule of law matters. I mean, when you look at the state constitution in New York, was this even a close call? Why did they think they could get away with this? Well, so even I'll stipulate the state constitution is somewhat vague. It says that citizens have the right to vote in elections, which is something we all know and accept. Uh, but even if we stipulate that point is vague, there's a state statute on the books, even in blue New York state, uh, that requires citizenship to register for and vote at elections at all levels from the governor down to the, the, the town justice. So it, it was the combination of that uh, and the state constitution and a third law that required municipalities, if they're changing the way people vote for uh, offices, to go through a referendum up, up process uh, that they didn't do in this case. It was those three things that actually overturned this law. And again, going back uh, two decades, uh, every mayoral administration, de Blasio also, uh, Bloomberg, they all said that this was illegal, that the city did not have the power to do this. But in the last month of the de Blasio mayoralty, he decided to throw some you-know-what against the wall uh, and see what stuck. Uh, and for six months, this stuck uh, until a judge uh, decided that reality and the law matters. Uh, and now we won't have foreign citizen voting. These aren't non-citizens, Buck. These are foreign citizens. Qualifications of New York voters are as follows. No person shall be qualified to register for and vote at any election unless he is a citizen of the United States and is or will be on the day of such election, 18 years of age or over, and a resident of the state and of the county, city, or village for a minimum of 30 days next preceding such election. So the law, it seems, on this one won out. But, but Joe, do you think they're done? Or are they going to try some other way to expand voting to people who are not citizens? 
No, they'll forum shop. They'll try to appeal this up to the second department, our first level appeals court in the state. Uh, they'll try to make the, the argument that the, the application of that law, even though it's plain and simple, you can read it yourself, uh, wasn't applied properly in this case. Uh, I don't think that works. What they could do, uh, and what might be the interesting thing to come out of this, is now push at the state level for a change in that law. Uh, and to be clear, if they change the statute you just had on the screen, then you could allow municipal voting of foreign citizens in every county uh, and every city election in the state. Unfortunately, though, they would pay a political price for that because this is one of those things that's not even widely supported within liberal New York City. There were a ton of politicians, especially African-American politicians, who opposed this. They rightly have, have seen a, a generation of trying to get black leadership uh, and other ethnicities to get representation uh, in their communities uh, and in, in, at different levels of government. And they felt that this would water down their contributions to governing our city uh, by allowing these people who are enfranchised in some other jurisdiction around the world. By the way, fun fact, if this was to go into, into place last election, you could have voted for Sadiq Khan in London and Mayor Eric Adams within 35 days of each other, and both would have been legal. Wow. There you have it. Not on Joe Borelli's watch, though, at least not yet. Gubernatorial no, primary sure. elections going on today in the Empire State, Joe. You endorsed on the GOP side Lee Zeldin. What made, what made you uh, go with Lee? There's some good folks in that race. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's three good candidates. Uh, I'll be clear about that. I know Rob Astorino and Andrew Giuliani for many, many years. Uh, and if they uh, happen to win, I'll be happy to support them too. But I think Lee uh, is the only person in the race with the experience and statewide uh, me mechanics uh, of a campaign that could actually go on and beat Kathy Hull in, uh, Hochul in November. Lee raised almost $10 million, which is double basically what every other challenger for governor uh, had even come close to raising uh, at this point uh, in the past. Uh, we've always had ourselves a disadvantage uh, to Democrats, both in terms of fundraising and in terms of enrollment. But when we take that fundraising thing uh, off the table, it becomes much more uh, easy. Also, he's from a part of the state that we need to flip back. We, I like Trump, you like Trump, but we know that he lost some support uh, in the suburbs. Lee Zeldin will win Nassau County, he'll win Suffolk County, on both Long Island counties, and he'll win part of the Hudson Valley. So geographically, uh, he makes the best case for November to beat Kathy Hochul. How do we look here going up against Hochul, the sitting governor, not actually somebody who won an election to get there, but you know, we all know Cuomo pushed to the side. She's lieutenant. Now she's the real governor. Her lieutenant governor did not last very long, by the way. I think people are realizing this is not the uh, machine of, uh, let's say, lack of corruption is, is not quite the trademark of the Hochul, uh, uh, the Hochul gubernatorial period thus far. Can a, can a Republican actually win, Joe? Can a Republican actually beat Kathy Hochul in New York in this fall? Uh, this fall's election. Yeah, I mean, Buck, Buck, you're a New Yorker. I mean, it, it, within our lifetime, uh, we had a Republican governor and he served three terms. Uh, he was someone who was uh, moderate on many of his positions, someone who was willing to work across the aisle when he had to. Some Republicans didn't like everything uh, he did, and that's fine, though. But no one can dispute the fact that the 1990s were a pretty good time for New York State. They were a pretty good time for New York City as well when we had Rudy Giuliani at the helm there uh, also. So I think there is some nostalgia. I think there is the ability to win. Uh, and I think this is the year to do it. Cuomo, uh, for all his faults, 
uh, had a strong following. He had a lot of support. There were homosexuals. There are no homosexuals out there in any corner of the Empire State. Uh, and without those uh, devoted followers and without that real devoted uh, turnout model that Cuomo could have generated, uh, I think it's going to be more difficult than not uh, for Kathy Hochul. Remember, there are only competitive general elections uh, in November in the Republican ports, uh, parts of the state. So most of these uh, uh, congressional districts around New York City uh, and in Buffalo, for example, and some of the inner cities aren't even having a competitive congressional race. So we, we do have some advantages we can work with. Uh, and I think uh, we're, we're in our best position we've been in the past three cycles. What's the single most important, if you had to look at one swing demographic in New York State, that could be the deciding factor here? It's uh, suburban women. Uh, and like I said before, a lot of them had issues with Donald Trump. Uh, I think uh, politically speaking, the Roe v. Wade uh, decision uh, doesn't necessarily help us with that demographic. But these are all people who live in, in the suburbs, who commute to Manhattan every day, commute to different parts of the city, or someone in their family does, or someone in their family is a police officer or something like that. And they are as tuned in to the rising crime and dysfunction of New York City as anyone who lives in the city proper. There are more people who have to come to New York City for business purposes or travel or pleasure or leisure uh, on a regular basis than there are who actually live in the city. So it's a big demographic of people who aren't really counted in the city falling apart demographic that will have their one chance to weigh in on politics in November. Joe Borelli of Staten Island. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for being here. You too. Thank you. Jeffrey Epstein's right-hand woman, Ghislaine Maxwell, learned her fate today. We'll tell you about that long-awaited decision and more coming up in Quick Hit. A sentence in the Ghislaine Maxwell case and comedian Wanda Sykes has some shocking reasons why her life isn't so great. It is time for Quick Hits. Um, let's, let's start with... Uh, with Wanda Sykes, who is uh, a name that I'm sure many of you know. She's famous. She's rich. Um, one would think that she would be, and she's an American. One would think there's a lot of blessings to be thankful for. Uh, but comedian Wanda Sykes took a different tone when she was talking to Stephen Colbert, reflecting on her life. And it was also interesting who she blamed it on. Watch. I'm a black gay woman and I have a daughter, so I'm not doing so well right now. The problem is that middle stuff. It's, it's those states in the middle, that, that, that red stuff. Mm -hmm. Why do they get to tell us what to do when the majority of us live out, you know, New York, California, and we're paying for all this crap, really? I mean, right? A lot of problems with the political analysis there. In general, I know the left and the libs hate to hear this or will ignore it, but you don't want to get your constitutional law analysis from comedians, just as, as a, a basic rule of, a rule of thumb, I think, probably a good place to be. Um, but also in the blaming of the red states, it's like the oldest, most boring ploy imaginable, right? Just blaming the red. First of all, there are a lot of Democrats who live in these so-called red states, but it's neither here nor there. NBC News report uh, came out today. Well, here's just an NBC News report. Convicted sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison for recruiting and grooming teenage girls to be sexually abused by Jeffrey Epstein. Um, 
Now, this is, a, this is a considerable prison sentence. I know there are people who will say that she should have gotten more. One problem, one thing that's difficult to handle with the whole Epstein uh, criminal saga is how is it that there were no other big names that were brought into this? Epstein and Maxwell were, by all accounts, running a blackmail operation. Who were they blackmailing? Where is the evidence of the blackmail? If you look into this, you'll find out that it seems very strange that that never really came out, never really seemed to get a clear... So all the surveillance operations they had going on, who were they surveilling? We know that there were some people that had lunch or went to the so-called pedophile island, but they say they didn't do anything. Well, actually, who was engaged in the activities here, the criminal activities with uh, women who were being sex trafficked? Never got that answer somehow. Seems strange to me. Hillary Clinton, by the way, is still making the rounds, and here she is with the usual, our democracy is at stake, blah, 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 watch. I really can't. I, but what I, I don't know. Well, but what I can't imagine is staying as active and outspoken as I can, because I think, I, I think our country is really on the precipice scale. I think that we are looking at not only the erosion of these rights, the throwing the door open to unfettered, unregulated gun access, but we're also looking at dismantling the federal government, how it protects our air and our water and everything else that do goes along with it. Do you think our democracy is at stake? We're looking I at do. the January 6th hearings. I do. You think the democracy is at stake I do. as we sit here today? I do. I, Will anything come of these hearings? People say, some say it's a waste of time. I, I think these hearings... It is a waste of time, uh, unless you are a lib wine mom without kids but cats who sits around all day watching the January 6th insurrection like it's a soap opera. Oh my gosh, any moment now. Ridiculous. But Hillary's ridiculous. All the stuff she says there. Uh, yes, our, our democracy is in such danger from unregulated gun buying. Well, she, there's tons, so many laws about guns you can't even, there are so many laws about guns that the libs can't even keep them straight. And that hasn't changed. All that's changed is you can't play this game of you're not actually going to issue permits to law-abiding citizens who want a carry permit for a handgun. Oh, no! It's actually going to make everybody safer, by the way. As ever, tonight's Hold the Line, the no-spin news of Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. 
The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.